Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings. My name is Benjamin Jacobs, and normally... This would be the feed for Wittenberg to Westphalia, the Wars of the Reformation. However, as you know, I'm a proud member of the Agora Podcast Network. It makes me proud because there's a lot of great talent, and because they pay for my web hosting services in return for advertising, which allows me to do this without getting killed by my wife. From time to time, Agora attempts to do some enhanced advertising promotions to uh, help make us some extra money. This is one of those times, but I'm happy to say that this time what we're promoting is the Tides of History podcast by the Wondery Production Company. Uh, the production company has a sterling reputation, and the podcast itself has a very interesting concept focusing on the Tides of History, uh, and the host is someone who also has a sterling reputation and an actual PhD, Patrick Wyman, which, you know, that's more than I can say about myself. So. Let's all give it a listen. Uh, this is about a half episode uh, as a teaser, um, which will just is going to be on my feed for about two weeks as part of this promotion, and then it will be removed, so it won't screw with the episode numbering or anything like that. Uh, please give it a listen, uh, and while you're doing stuff for the Agora Podcast Network, why not head over to the show notes for this page on my website, Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast.weebly.com and go check out the Agora Network survey. Uh, it'll take you about five minutes and it'll be really useful in helping us uh, secure some more advertising, which will make this podcast just slightly a bit more profitable, which will be very good for me as I am trying to move right now. So head over to the website and check that out uh, and please uh, give the Tides of History a listen. The rumble of thousands of booted feet, hooves, and the wheels of cannons and supply wagons shook the pavement. Metal sword hilts clanged against steel breastplates. The clamor of a half-dozen noisy varieties of French and German mixed and melded above the racket. The stink of thousands of unwashed bodies sweating even in the winter chill permeated the air. This was an army on the move, an army led by the French king, Charles VIII. A new era of European power politics was about to begin. It was December of the year 1494. 
Charles VIII had invaded Italy with a cutting-edge army of professional cavalrymen in shining plate armor and advanced artillery capable of blasting holes in the wall of any medieval castle. There were 8,000 stone-faced Swiss mercenaries. Their hedgehog formations, bristling with 15-foot pikes, could roll through any opposition. This was the most advanced army money could buy. What paid for that army was a professional bureaucracy that assessed and collected taxes on an industrial scale. The Tuscan peasants who watched the soldiers pass by had never seen anything like this. No, they weren't strangers to war. The city-states of Italy fought each other constantly, but they'd never seen so many cannons. They'd never seen the tough, hard-bitten Swiss professionals. Most of all, they'd never seen so many soldiers all at once. Italy was about to become a battlefield for states whose resources and destructive capabilities were miles beyond anything these peasants had ever seen or could even comprehend. There was something new, something truly frightening happening here. From this vantage point, standing here by this ancient road, we can see the roots of a world that's recognizably our own. From Wondery, this is Tides of History. I'm Patrick Wyman. Welcome to the first episode. One of my favorite historians, Fernand Brodel, wrote, Events, and even individual people, are just crests of foam on top of the waves that the deeper tides of history carry on their strong backs. I'm a historian. I've spent the better part of the last decade working on the period from roughly 300 to 700 AD, the fall of the Roman Empire. That's what my PhD was on. It's a period in history that I focused on in my last podcast, The Fall of Rome. If you've been listening to that show, don't worry. Everything you liked about that one will still be here, too. And it's a time that's always fascinated me because it tells us that no matter how deeply rooted the foundations of our world seem, things can still fall apart. Nothing lasts forever. People living in the Roman Empire in 425 couldn't imagine a world without it just as we're conditioned to think of ourselves as living in an eternal America, Canada, or United Kingdom. 50 years later, though, the Roman Empire was gone. It took another 50 years after that for people to come to terms with it. That's a relative blink of an eye in the grand scheme of things. Now, I'm not done talking about Rome. Far from it. There are still so many questions left to answer, like what was happening in the eastern half of the Roman Empire, the part that didn't fall apart? Why did cities decline and disappear? How and why did Christianity come to dominate the religious scene? How did a changing climate play into all of this? Rest easy, we still have plenty left to discuss. But in this new series, I'm going to be doing something a bit different as well. I've always been fascinated with big changes, with the big questions of history. There's another topic that's chock full of these kinds of shifts, things that rocked the very foundations of the world. I'm calling it the rise of the modern world. And this series will cover the period between about 1350 and 1650 AD, roughly the Black Death to the Thirty Years' War and the English Civil War. Why this time? Well, because as the title implies, I think this is where the roots of our world, the world we see around us every day, are to be found. So, when I was in graduate school, we were never taught to talk to a general audience, or even really encouraged to do it. We were supposed to write for specialist academics. Essentially, we were making our work inaccessible to the broader public. On one hand, that makes sense. 
you're dealing with esoteric topics and you need to be precise and specific. On the other hand, though, you're explicitly cutting yourself off from interested people who might like to know more about the past. It might sound corny to say this, but I genuinely think history matters. It's an incredibly powerful tool for understanding our own world for two reasons. First, it tells us how we got to where we are now. That's important to know. It's pretty hard to have a full understanding of our life and times without grasping the roots of the things that define us, from the legal system to race relations. Second, though, history tells us that the world doesn't have to be as it is. Things weren't destined to happen the way they did. The way we've organized things, whether we're talking about the structure of the state or the definition of marriage, it's not the only possible way to do it. Labor systems, religious experience, even basic assumptions about how people relate to each other, none of that's set in stone. In that sense, I think history should be useful. It should try to explain why the world is the way it is and why it's changed over time. It should strive to give people examples and comparisons with which to think both about the past and the present day. By that, I don't just mean reading the present back onto the past. As Mark Twain put it, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. History gives us tools to think with. It helps us figure out what questions to ask and how to frame our answers. These two topics, the fall of Rome and the rise of the modern world, give us a lot of opportunities to do just that. I already mentioned a few things we'll be discussing with regard to the fall of Rome, but let me give you a brief outline of what we'll be covering here in the rise of the modern world. The sovereign state rose out of the messy politics of the later Middle Ages to vanquish its opposition, becoming the structural and institutional basis of the nation-states we still inhabit today. Wars increased in duration and intensity, while armies changed from temporary feudal levies dominated by archers and knights to standing armies of professionals with firearms and cannon, paid for by a complex state apparatus of taxation. The beginnings of capitalistic economic logic can be found here, too, in financial markets and accounting practices that seem familiar to us today. If you've ever had to deal with an Excel spreadsheet, you can thank Florentine bankers and their double-entry bookkeeping for that. The printing press fundamentally transformed communication and the accumulation of human knowledge. That was just one of a host of technological innovations that came to fruition around this time. Scientific practices evolved as well, proving that the Earth rotates around the Sun, and eventually culminating in Newton's great discoveries. The Renaissance produced an incredible cultural efflorescence in art, literature, architecture, and thought. Some would even say that the concept of the individual, as we understand it, was born in the cities of northern Italy in the 14th and 15th centuries. Centuries of religious dissent spilled over into the Protestant Reformation, as figures like Luther, Zwingli, and Calvin toppled the formerly universal church and splintered European Christianity once and for all. Finally, ships set off from Western Europe, bound for destinations around the world, knitting together the world from Calcutta to Lisbon, Seville to Cuba, and London to Newfoundland in a web of trade, migration, and violence that would rewrite not just Europe's history, but that of the entire world. We're still living in the world all of these big developments created. Sure, a lot of stuff has happened since then, including an industrial revolution and a couple of world wars. But in meaningful ways, the foundation of our own world was laid in this 300-year stretch from 1350 to 1650. 
The world in 1500 was still a medieval one, but the modern lay just around the corner. On a more personal level, this long, early modernity and the end of the Roman Empire are the two periods of history that have always fascinated me the most. You might ask, why not cover the 800 years in the middle, from the Vikings to the Crusades to the Black Death? Well, the short answer is, I plan to, eventually. In fact, that's probably going to be the period that we dig into once the fall of Rome has run its course. That's one of the nice things about history. It's not going anywhere. My goal here is to bring you the most up-to-date conclusions and viewpoints of people who've spent their whole lives working on the two periods in question. Academic history is great, but on a really fundamental level, it's not aimed at the general public. It's intended to be read by people who already have a deep grounding in that material. If you don't have that background, it's dang near incomprehensible. To some extent, that's necessary. Specialists in every field have their own technical language, whether you're pouring concrete, arguing before the Supreme Court, or writing code. It's shorthand that allows these specialists to communicate effectively and efficiently with the kind of nuance and precision that's necessary among the initiated. On the other hand, though, this kind of technical language and background necessary for understanding the material also serves as a way of blocking off that material from the uninitiated, from outsiders. This is where it becomes a real problem. It makes the enormous amount of interesting stuff historians have found inaccessible to the general public. When academic historians shake their heads at the state of public knowledge of an issue, as they regularly do, a lot of that has to do with the gap between what they're writing and what people are actually reading or listening to. I see it as my job to make this inaccessible material accessible. I want to translate it for people who are interested in these topics, but who don't have half a decade to spend in graduate school to learn this technical language, or to absorb all the necessary background to understand it. Here on Tides of History, I'll do that part for you. I'll read the archaeologists' distribution maps of 5th century pottery and the analyses of a 16th century merchant's account books. I'll read the linguistic theories on the emergence of proto-romance and the mind-numbing records of how 17th century bureaucrats collected and spent tax funds. There's a vast amount of stuff out there. And I'll find it, take it in, absorb it, and give you my interpretation of what scholars have concluded about it. Some of my conclusions will be original, Others will be drawn from what I've read. Either way, I'll tell you where and how I think historians have it right or wrong, and I'll tell you why I think it matters today. Are you ready to explore the rise of the modern world? Go to the feed of Tides of History. The first two episodes are available now. If you're listening on a smartphone, simply tap or swipe over the key art of the episode you're listening to right now, and you'll find a link to Tides of History in the episode notes. You can also search Tides of History on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app to download episodes one and two. Don't forget to subscribe while you're there. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.